You're listening to TIP. Hey, everyone. Welcome to this Wednesday's release of the Bitcoin Fundamentals podcast. This episode is brought to you by River, the place that I personally go to securely invest in Bitcoin with confidence and with zero fees. On today's show, I have back by popular demand, Mr. Alex Gladstein. The thing I love about Alex is he's the living example of proof of work. While most of us are here just talking about Bitcoin and what it might bring to the world, he's actually out there in far off parts of the world seeing and responding to real use cases and interactions as they impact all the parts of the world. During today's conversation, we talk about some of the amazing things he saw firsthand happening in Africa and how Bitcoin mining is changing the local culture, education, and energy grid. This is a conversation you will not want to miss. So here's my chat with Alex Gladstein. Celebrating 10 years, you are listening to Bitcoin Fundamentals by the Investors Podcast Network. Now for your host, Preston Pish. Hey, everyone. Welcome to the show. I'm here with the one and only Alex Gladstein. Welcome back to the show. Thank you for having me back, Preston. It's always really fun. So you write these uh, just amazing pieces and I go through it and I'm, I'm reading this and I'm just thinking this has to be turned into some type of audio. <laughs> like this article needs to be in some type of audio format or podcast discussion. Your latest stranded how Bitcoin is saving wasted energy and expanding financial freedom in Africa. The stories in here are just miraculous. They're, they're just so inspiring and so exciting to hear. So. I think I know the answer to this question, but give us the, uh, the impetus for writing this article. Like what, what event happened? What travel happened? Like just walk us through the impetus of it. Yeah. Well, to go all the way back, I started getting really interested in like the planetary impact that Bitcoin mining would have, the, the social impact, the planetary impact, how it would change our relationship with energy and electricity. And that was really kindled and inspired by actually Ross Stevens' um, letter that he wrote to the shareholders at Stone Ridge in 2020. And most of that letter was talking about, you know, obviously Bitcoin as, as, an, as a money, as a currency, as an investment. But there was a part of it that talked about Bitcoin as kind of like a civilizational infrastructure where people used to kind of settle and do activity where there was water and that Bitcoin mining m- might make it possible for them to do it where there's other kinds of energy sources that are currently like basically isolated, stranded. And I thought that was very powerful. And it inspired me to do some earlier writing on Bitcoin and how it might impact renewable energy and the environment. And I I wrote this three years ago, and it went into my book, Check Your Financial Privilege, where I looked at how the Virunga National Park in the DRC in the Congo had these dams that were built by foreign donors that were not able to use their capacity. Basically, the park was only able to use a small percentage of of the capacity of these dams. So there's a lot of curtailed, wasted energy. And uh, some enterprising Bitcoin folks went down there, started up some conversations. The park started mining the Bitcoin, I think, in 2020. And obviously, it's done extremely well for them. So it's now become like vital infrastructure for the park for all the animals and plants the biosphere protects and the 5 million people that, that live in the area of the park. So that captured my imagination. And I was 
it's just why looking at videos of just like the miners in the middle of the jungle i was like this is crazy they're turning flowing water into capital this is awesome i had an opportunity to get involved at the africa bitcoin conference hrf was a kind of a founding sponsor of the event a couple of years ago and this year's edition was coming up probably about a year ago i was talking with my friend eric herzman from gridless a company that does off-grid mining on mainly hydro and geothermal in, in, in East and Southern Africa. And Eric, I've known for a long time, but uh, he, he, he kind of reached out to me several years ago and we reconnected around Bitcoin. Like we, I'd known him from his previous career doing humanitarian work and social enterprise and basically like uh, information and internet infrastructure in Africa. That, that's what his career was, was in. And um, I knew him from that world. And then all of a sudden, like we realized we were both Bitcoiners and that was like an amazing <laughs> moment. And ever since then, we were like, you know, collaborating and doing stuff. And I thought it would be super fun for Gridless and HRF to team up to, to maybe visit some of the sites that they had operating in East and Southern Africa, maybe bring some friends of ours from different backgrounds. I won't be specific, but we'll just put it this way. Some of these folks are Bitcoin developers. Some of them are entrepreneurs making tools for people to use Bitcoin in Africa and elsewhere. Some of these folks are investors or philanthropists. And then some of these people were like educators or journalists. And uh, we put together a nice little group and we went down there. And I, I think it, it just so blew my mind. I mean, I, I kind of knew what I was getting into. I knew that it would be very profound. I think mm -hmm. that's the word I was using. I knew it would be very profound, but, but I was not prepared for, <laughs> I guess, the sinking realizations <laughs> that you have when you go visit these sites. And, yeah. and in particular, we visited two sites. One was a micro hydro project in Malawi, which by the way, is a very remote place. Like everybody in Kenya that we were talking to, they were like, you're in a Malawi? Like what? Why would you ever go to Malawi? Like Malawi is very, very remote place. And then we saw a geothermal site on the shores of a lake in Kenya. And uh, both were very different, but, but equally blew my mind in terms of like what I think this is going to do to the world. And it helped me kind of understand that in almost all cases, not Bitcoin mining is a waste of energy. And I think that's obviously a deep kind of thing to realize. You almost have to say that uh, again, because that is such a profound statement. <laughs> I'm serious. That is such yeah. a profound yeah, statement. So not, not Bitcoin mining, not Bitcoin mining is a waste of energy, Yeah, which is the exact opposite of what the, the mainstream media and governments want you to think, because they've been telling us for a decade plus that, that mining Bitcoin is wasting energy. Mm -hmm. The reality is that almost every single power generation source in the world does not use all of its capacity all the time. And often it cannot sell the excess. In Western countries and in advanced societies, in advanced energy infrastructure places, it usually can sell more of it, right? Because we have grids and energy markets. But in a lot of the world, in what we would call the global majority, where most people live, there really aren't like energy markets and grids. Like in Africa, for example, like mm -hmm. there is no grid. There's no grid. So if you've got a site on the shores of a lake in Africa, I mean, just picture this in Kenya, where there's geothermal everywhere. I mean, I was talking to the foreman of this geothermal plant. And, and this plant was, I think, like... Uh, 1.4 or 1.5 or like a two, two megawatt plant, relatively small. But, but in the region, there's up to a gigawatt of geothermal that's being harvested in this one area of Kenya. And the guy was telling us that there's probably 10 gigawatts of, of potential energy there, but just no one's Built the figured out a way to, yeah, no yeah. one's figured out a way to capture it yet. There's been no incentive to do so. 
but you have this beautifully clean, consistent geothermal power, which is basically they dig a hole in the ground, goes down 2000 feet or so, or, or a little more. And, and the stuff that comes up out of it powers a turbine. I mean, this is, you know, very sustainable. It's going to deliver the same amount of power for the next 50 years. And the thing is, they build this thing and then a company buys power to run a water pump on the shore of the lake, which takes the water from the lake and moves it to a field to irrigate the field to grow flowers to sell. Kenya is the world's largest exporter of cut flowers. I'm sure there's like a tulip joke in there somewhere, but uh, the point is <laughs> a, lot, a lot of those flowers you see in supermarkets in Europe are, are grown in Kenya, actually. So this is a big business for Kenya. And you think about the mechanics of it. So I'm sitting there at this water pump and I'm thinking like, wow, there must be thousands of these all over this country. Industrial power generation sites similar to this, where they're powering water irrigation, right? And, and you're thinking about what's in front of you, like you're sitting at this lake looking around and there's this beautifully consistent geothermal power coming down to, to power the water pump. And it delivers a baseload all the time. And then the water pump, though, is not consistent. Water pumps using power sometimes. Sometimes it's off. Sometimes it's on. Sometimes it's pumping. Sometimes it's not. But that doesn't change the fact that there's always the same amount of energy, of electricity rather, being delivered exactly. um, to, to the pump. So the, the rest is waste. Okay, mm -hmm. So there's this enormous amount of waste that is happening. Less so perhaps in Western countries, but still like during at night, like there's all kinds of waste, even in rich countries, but especially in rural areas and, and poorer countries, the amount of electricity waste is so profound. It's so staggering. And then I'm looking to my left, I'm looking at the solution and I'm looking at this gridless hut, which is all custom. The whole thing's custom designed. All, everything's built by Africans. Everything's made, made in Africa, except for the miners themselves. And you're looking at this hut. It's got a Starlink on it. <laughs> it's like totally solar punk. You're like sitting on this lakeside. And it is the Bitcoin network buying 100% of the electricity that the water pump is not using. So you are using all of the electricity that the earth is creating through geothermal energy in this one particular instance. This is the Bitcoin network eliminating waste and turning it into capital. And this is extremely powerful. So you're watching this thing happen. And Eric's showing me on his phone the actual data in terms of, you know, like what times of day are they getting, you know, a lot of power to run, run their miners? What time of day are, are they not? Are they curtailing, et cetera? So it's very dynamic. They write all the software for this. It's a um, 375 kilowatt operation. So it's, it's basically like they're basically eating about, let's call it a third of the baseload on average every day, which again, roughly otherwise just would have been straight up wasted. But again, it's not linear. It's like changing dynamically. You have to be clever about how you do this. But basically the, the point is that you're going to start seeing Bitcoin miners adorn every kind of possible power generation site almost anywhere. I mean, and the gridless folks were really great at explaining to me, both Eric Herzman, uh, Philip and, and Janet, that like in the near future, if you're building a variable demand site like you will build it with a bitcoin miner because otherwise you're going to be losing money and you won't be competitive this yeah, will just be yeah. a normal thing that happens with a variable demand power generation site like it just yeah you will have a bitcoin miner that goes along with it it'll be part of the infrastructure so you start to understand this is going to just be part of infrastructure for energy everywhere and that that's what i didn't realize before going let's take a quick break and hear from today's sponsors so one of the most common questions I get from family and friends is, Preston, where do you buy your Bitcoin from personally? 
And the answer is really simple. I buy it on river.com. Not only can you easily buy Bitcoin with zero fees on recurring orders, you can have peace of mind knowing Bitcoin on River is held one-to-one in multi-sig cold storage, all while being fully licensed and regulated in the U.S. Plus, their relationship managers are U.S.-based and available by phone for you or your business. Additionally, River has built their own infrastructure from the ground up, which means they don't rely on third parties to function like the other Bitcoin exchanges. River also created a new feature not found anywhere else called River Link. It allows you to send Bitcoin over a text message to easily orange pill your family, pay a friend for dinner, or send a gift. There's absolutely a new standard in Bitcoin and River is setting it. So go to river.com slash fundamentals and get up to $100 free when you sign up and buy Bitcoin. That's river.com slash fundamentals. Our friends at Coriant provide wealth management services centered around you. Coriant's goal is to exceed your expectations and simplify your life. Coriant has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. They are one of the largest integrated fee-only U.S. registered investment advisors, and Coriant has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. They have extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. The teams at Coriant put the collective power of their expertise into building you the custom wealth, investment, and family office solutions that can help you reach your holistic financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, speak with an advisor today at Coriant.com. That's spelled C-O-R-I-E-N-T dot com. That's Corient dot com. When Rain Wilson had a great idea, he turned to AT&T Business. They assured him no matter how out there his idea may be, they had his back. So he came up with this, a talking pillow designed to put you to sleep, backed by a reliable network in the only network with built-in security controls. And thus, Sleep With Rain was a hit. Take your business to the next level at business.att.com. That's business.att.com. All right, back to the show. So Gridless has been really leading this charge in Africa. More, so, I haven't really even heard another name of an entity really building mm-hmm. over there. there. Are. There's actually a Green Africa Mining Alliance. So okay, Gamma good. and Gridless is part of it. And there's tons. I mean, there's a lot. Happening. Really? I mean, yeah, I mean, look, we are, we're there's a lot of interesting things happening in Bitcoin right now. So there's there's well, <laughs> the, well, the reasons on on Wall Street, right? But there's like, I mean, there's big sites coming online. There's smaller sites coming online. There's people doing stuff in Ethiopia. There's stuff happening in Nigeria now that the government over there basically changed the law so that states inside Nigeria can decide energy policy instead of the federal government. So that's opening some interesting doors. So this is just going to take time, but basically. Yeah, Gridless is leading the charge in terms of, I think, showing that you can have a profitable business that is going to grow and scale all across Africa. I think there's hopefully going to be a lot of copycats. They do a really good job. They have an incredible team. They're going to be hard to beat, but and they, they're picky about their sites, things like that. But they are very committed to this, to solving a problem. I mean, yes, they of course, they want to do, run a good business and make money. I mean, mm-hmm. of course, this is not a nonprofit. But... The problem that eats away at them every day is this problem of 600 million Africans don't have electricity. Are there and, any and, nonprofits that are competing yeah. with Gridless in, in Africa? 
I mean, not, not in terms of eliminating wasted energy with Bitcoin mining, to my knowledge. There are, of course, I mean, every single, almost every single power facility in rural Africa was done with what's called concessional financing, which is essentially just like aid, right? The thing about these projects is that they take a long time. There's no kind of profit motive, so everything's slow. Everything's at the discretion of the donor. It's a very dependent relationship. It, cr- it creates dependency. Like there's mm-hmm. no sovereignty for the, lo- I mean, you're kind of mm-hmm. at the whim of the Scottish government or whatever. The site we visited, the micro hydro site we visited was originally built in Malawi, was originally built by the Scottish government. So it was great. But, you know, they tend to like give a certain amount of money. It took eight years for them to build this site. Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> like it started in, uh, they finally got power in 2016 in this, pr- in this particular village in Malawi. Uh, and uh, I think it, the, the whole thing started in 2008. So it took them so long to actually get this thing up and running. And they don't provide any capital beyond that for, let's say, like operational expenses, any OPEX, like it's just any expansion, like that's just out. So you're kind of just stuck. And what happens with all these like little grid providers is that like these micro mini grid providers is that, uh, you know, they have a certain amount of money that they earn from their like initial set of customers. And that's kind of just enough to keep the lights on. It's not enough to like expand or anything like yeah, that. Yeah. So you end up losing money. And, and remember, like the backdrop is that the fiat currency technology of Africa is disastrous. So like in theory, we want to believe that everything gets cheaper in an ideal world, right? The crazy part is, and we know in a fiat world, that's not how it works, but especially bad in Africa, like electricity gets more expensive. <laughs> like not only because the local currency that you earn in is collapsing against the dollar, that we, we were in Malawi weeks after a 44% currency devaluation. Wow. Thing to think about. So all these people just had 56% less purchasing power. Or rather, they only had 56% of the purchasing power that they had a few weeks earlier. On the global stage from what they had before. Yeah, they're just sitting around yeah. and they're like doing what they do and they're, they're 44% poorer, like just because of an arbitrary decision that was made by the government. It's crazy. It's a crime against humanity, in my opinion, and it doesn't really get talked about like that. But that's kind of the context is that the currency is very poor quality. There's very little incentive for expanding electricity access. And we're stuck. And that's why only 15% of people in Malawi have access to electricity. And this is this big problem that Eric and his team talk about. And they're like, you can't even comprehend it. Okay, imagine a thousand boys and girls without power. Okay, now imagine 10,000. Okay, how about 100,000? Okay, maybe we, we could start to imagine that. A million? And then 600 million? You can't, it's impossible to even imagine the scale of this catastrophe. It's so bad. Yeah. So, and you know, we talked with people in this village who, who lived through not having power and then having power. It's like, we, we forget, you know, like everything, like medicine, like charging your phone, like, you know, just micro interesting social stuff, like, the men would all leave to go to the town next town over to watch football and stuff. And they wouldn't be with their families at all. And now when they have power, they stay at home and they're with their family. Like there's hmm. all kinds of, I mean, schooling, like the, I mean, cause the kids, they, it's dark most of the time. Right. So it's like, um, they can't really study. It's very hard. They have to use like paraffin lamps, which are dangerous. There's a lot of indoor air pollution. That's incredibly lethal for kids. Like, and when they got electricity, the rate at which the kids at this village got accepted to the more elite sort of national school system really skyrocketed over a period of time. Like really? Once they got ele- yeah, because now the kids can study at night, like no problem. I mean, it really makes a difference. So you're talking about this huge human issue that's more than just African. I mean, obviously, it's a big problem in Africa, but 
and energy, lack of electricity or like lack of constant electricity is, is a problem for billions of people. I mean, think about even a country like South Africa, where they have electricity, they have load shedding. So, so even the people who have electricity in Malawi, when we were there, we're dealing with six to eight hours of load shedding per day. So even if you were in the capital with grid electricity, you weren't getting it. And the craziest part was being out in this little town of Bondo, like in the middle of nowhere, literally. At night, you would see the mini grid come on. So as the sun sets, you see the lights all come on and there's no load shedding because Bitcoin balances the grid perfectly. It's, incre- it's incredible. So you're like thinking about this and they, they think, Gridless thinks that within 30 years, Bitcoin mining will, will give electricity to close to 100% of people in, in Malawi. And it's not going to be the World Bank or the IMF or yeah. Bill Gates. Uh, I, I hope they do better and I hope they do as good as they can. But like, there's no incentive there to, yeah. to get this done. Where Bitcoin provides the incentive because Bitcoin's like this thing. It's like this organism. It's like this creature that just hunts cheap energy and it just goes to it. It finds it just relentlessly finds cheap energy, wasted energy, stranded energy, no one, energy nobody else wants. The mascot they use over there is the dung beetle. It's Gridless's mascot. So the dung beetle turns waste that nobody else wants into value, right? So Bitcoin's, the network is like this thing. It's like this force driving humans to help them find and utilize cheap energy, straight, stranded energy, wasted energy, orphaned energy, and turn it into something powerful. And, and the crazy part is, you get paid in sats, like, right? So you get paid directly in Satoshis. You don't get paid in Quacha or in shillings or any of these collapsing currencies, which is, which is really important thing to note because a lot of people might say, well, why wouldn't you mine? Why would you do like AI compute? And I'll describe why you wouldn't. But even if you could, you'd have to do like some contract in freaking Quacha and like to be like a Forex and there'd be like all these like billing office stuff. And it's like, no, people mining Bitcoin on microgrids don't have to deal with that. They just get paid. They just get paid directly in Bitcoin. It's incredible. But either way, the AI stuff doesn't make a lot of sense because if you think about what, what AI data farms are, like the chips are very expensive, right? Very expensive, $30,000 plus for a good chip, right? And they, they, only ha- they only have like a draw of like, I don't know, something like 1,200 watts, like not that much power. Compare that to a Bitcoin mine in ASIC, which is like way cheaper, way, way, way cheaper and, and much more power hungry, like 3,500 watts or something. And maybe it's 1,200 bucks for an ASIC or something. So the point is what you can see is that in AI compute, the price of electricity is very marginal. It's not that important. So that's not going to be a big factor. Mm. With Bitcoin, it's everything. Price mm-hmm. of electricity is so important. That's going to make it a economically wise decision, right, to go and mine Bitcoin and Bondo using this water flow that's going to happen anyway, right? And like literally, it's going to be like the setting the lowest price of energy purchasing is going to be the Bitcoin. A Bitcoin, everything else will be more expensive. You're not AI even doesn't work the same way. Yeah, you're not even getting into the latency of if you were yeah, paying that server and you can't. Yeah. It can't be a grid balancer because it's for the most part AI does not work like Bitcoin, where you can just turn it on and off without harming the process. Most industrial processes cannot do demand response the same way mm-hmm. because well, I mean what like you have like a steel factory you can't just like turn it off like bitcoin is, is uniquely powerful as, a, as an energy buyer in that sense obviously it can be anywhere in the world I mean it can be anywhere and it can be turned on and off at a whim so it really helps with balancing grids which is going to be huge so it's not just that it's going to help get it's not just that a it's going to help eliminate waste everywhere it's also that it's going to help 
grow off-grid power, which is important for different reasons, but it'll also help stabilize big grids. So I think they're, they're kind of excited about all these things. And obviously the grid, grid list team is in its name telling you what kind of grid it likes best, but uh, <laughs> like it wants to be these, these off-grid sites. And that's the really crazy part as you think about it. And without even getting into the financial freedom stuff, like the way that Africa's going to help Bitcoin, right? Because everybody's like, oh, well, Africans need Bitcoin. And I think Americans need Bitcoin. Africans need Bitcoin. Latin Americans need Bitcoin. Asians need Bitcoin. Everybody needs Bitcoin. But um, I think you could argue that Africans especially need it because the currency technology is so poor. But I think that Bitcoin needs Africa too. And a good example is mining. So and Troy Cross said something pretty profound to me that I put into the essay that I love this like, quote. I yeah, literally awesome. have the note right in front of me here. Yeah. It's, and he's like, it's awesome. Kind of like in the last cycle, access to cheap capital kind of drove Bitcoin mining. Like mm-hmm. Wall Street would just like fund this stuff. But increasingly, he's thinking in the next cycle, that's going to be dictated by access to cheap power. And the cheapest power is wasted power, stranded power, power no one else wants, right? And Africa's got a lot of it, right? Um, mm-hmm. Like tons of it like thousands of gigawatts of it. So we'll see. But basically, if a higher and higher percentage of the network's hash rate is being powered by completely disconnected, off-grid, decentralized operations across Africa or the wider you know, global south or whatever, that's really good for Bitcoin. Because what we don't necessarily want, obviously, is like all of the mining being done in centralized, central point of failure you know, Western setups where governments can come and easily turn it off or confiscate it or hold up a gun and and try to force folks to censor stuff. Like, so this is going to be really good for the network. So that's cool too. Like this is a mutual, this is a mutual conversation here. Isn't it fascinating? It just seems like every time you look at how there could potentially be a vulnerability, it just presents itself in a way that, well, yeah, no, you, you really can't do that because 10% 10% of Bitcoin mining is now being done in Africa in, in a way that has, you know, really incentivized them to do it in an off-grid kind of way. It's just, it's mind-blowing to me. I'm curious, Alex, uh, from the vantage point, you know, hearing these stories, you would think that the word would really get out and politically it would start to become very popular. Mm-hmm. Is that the case? And if it isn't, what's, what's the reason why? Look, I think, you know, history rhymes and People take time to learn. I mean, at one point we killed whales to get <laughs> oils. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and meanwhile, it was all around us in the ground. We didn't really know. And, and it took time to learn, right? It took time to learn. And even when the first people started realizing there was stuff in the ground, we were still killing the whales. Like, you know, same thing with horse and car and any technological innovation. Like, there are people get used to stuff and it takes time to, to shift. And I think we're being, maybe we're asking a lot for people in 24 months to go from not knowing what Bitcoin is to realizing that they need to change their energy infrastructure. I think that's going to be a little more than 24 months, right? So mm-hmm. a lot of these conversations in Bitcoin started, I mean, obviously everything in Bitcoin was once discussed like within the first three years on Bitcoin talk, but like Hal even in the first, in the year, first year was talking about how Bitcoin might help address this issue. But let's just say a lot of this, a lot of the energy stuff didn't even really start till 18, 19, right? I mean, maybe it's maybe been five years from concept to rollout and Mm -hmm. we're seeing rollout, right? So I think the next two, three years are pivotal. And I'm thinking about 
like governments like Kenya. And, and once they realize that there's this other thing they can do, because think about what a government has to do, like if it needs money, like it can borrow from the IMF with all of its conditions that we've discussed. Not mm-hmm. ideal. It knows it doesn't want to do that. It can try to sell bonds, like not like a very appetizing thing right now for global investors. A lot of these countries can't even like Malawi, its bond market is shut. Like it can't do that anymore. So, so that's hard for a lot of these countries. It can reduce fiscal, which is not popular. Like mm-hmm. people don't want that. <laughs> it can raise taxes, which is also not popular. So there's, you know, they're kind of like stuck and they end up usually doing the easy thing, which is inflating. But there is, there's, of course, eventually can't do that, like without the people realizing. But the point is, there's another road here where these governments could basically take one last fiat loan from whomever and just send a team around their country and just figure out, well, how much energy are we wasting at just existing power generation sites? Like, let's do a three month survey. Let's send three dozen people around the country. Let's figure it out. How many ASICs do we need? How many gridless type sites do we need? And let's do it. Like, let's borrow that amount of money. And then we will then buy Bitcoin mining infrastructure and build it. And within whatever, two, three years, they'll have paid back the loan. And then they'll be like earning huge amounts of sovereign currency, which, which I do believe will become... The next global reserve currency. I mean, I don't know but Alex, how long you, that takes. You're the, yeah. you're the master that wrote the book literally on how the IMF will tether, you know, strings attached to the loans. And they would never provide a loan if they knew well, the right. use of funds that's, would be that's, this. Well, the, and the whole IMF system is tied up in, in the dollar system, like that these countries need to get dollars. Therefore, they need to try to have this relationship with, with, with Europe or the United States so that they can sell things to us so they can earn dollars, they can pay back their debt and buy fertilizer and whatever. Mm-hmm. So this, this is how we get out of that system, right? So this is how these countries start to earn on their terms, a currency, which today is not a reserve currency, but I do believe that in the next decade or so that Boeing or whatever will, I think they'll accept payment in Bitcoin for airplanes. I think you're going to start seeing Bitcoin accepted for payment for fertilizer, oil, airplanes, whatever governments need. Like, whereas like the local fiat currencies are not accepted today. So Kenya cannot use shillings, generally speaking, to go to like Lockheed Martin and buy stuff. <laughs> like they're going to be like, oh, no, I see we're not taking shillings. I see what you're yeah. saying. So like the, today, Kenya has to trade. Kenya can't, can't print dollars. Lockheed Martin only takes dollars, right? Or maybe euros. That's about it. Like they're not going to do a contract in like Quacha. So these countries have to basically sell stuff to the United States or Europe in order to earn dollars Mm. so that they can buy stuff from Lockheed Martin. Mm. And that creates dependency because then they have to do what we want. Because if they don't do what we want, then we won't do those deals with them anymore. And they, in a dollar world, they'll starve. So basically the idea is let's change that and let's have countries be able to create the currency by which international trade is done through their own electricity reserves. Let's take a quick break and hear from today's sponsors. 
If you're looking for the right franchise concept at the right time, an iFlex Stretch Studio franchise is the business for you. iFlex is the newest franchise concept from the founders of the Joint Chiropractic. With over 200 licenses already awarded to our regional developers, there's never been a better time to own an iFlex franchise in your market. An iFlex Stretch Studio franchise offers its clients the best in professional-assisted stretching for one affordable price in one beautiful location. Even the Mayo Clinic says stretching can increase flexibility and improve your joints range of motion helping you move more freely prime regional developer opportunities and franchise locations are going fast don't miss this opportunity to get into this rapidly growing health and wellness business from the founders of the joint chiropractic find out more today call 888-994-3539 or visit iflexpodcast.com call right now 888-994-3539 or visit iflexpodcast.com Kyle, you're connected with a ton of different investors and portfolio managers, and you're just really in the know on a lot of these things. How do you keep up with all the day-to-day headlines for your portfolio companies? Yeah, so I used to have a ton of issues with this, and that was until I started using Yahoo Finance. Really? What's so great about it? So Yahoo Finance is awesome. I have my whole portfolio entered, and I can easily see all the top headlines to keep up with the recent news. And each day, you get an overview of the major global events that might be moving the market. So I'm ready to easily pounce on any opportunities that come my way. What else can you do on Yahoo Finance's platform? They also have a number of cool features, including a tool that lets you link all of your investment accounts, analyst ratings, and independent research, as well as the ability to create customized charts. Well, now I know that the audience is really going to love this one. And I actually see they have 90 million monthly active users. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com. The number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. As many of you know, I love studying businesses and networking with business owners. The more I've studied businesses, the more I've realized that starting and scaling your business is easier than ever because of companies like Shopify. Did you know that Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the US? Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify even helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. What I personally love about Shopify is that it's the turnkey solution to kickstart and grow your business, and they are totally committed to giving you the necessary tools to succeed as a business owner. Plus, they have an award-winning customer support team there to help you every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com WSB. That's all lowercase. Go to shopify.com WSB now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. That's shopify.com WSB. All right. Back to the show. Is the limitation for Gridlist to grow or any other for-profit entity over in Africa, like what is their limiting factor for growth right now? 
like is it cap is it access to capital because it's very hardware intensive is it them, them just finding the right sites that they feel like they can trust what's the limiting factor I mean, I think it's very exciting for them right now and they're all fired up and everything's <laughs> wide open and things are happening fast. Like I just in the, so I went early December in the time since they've set up two new biofuel plants. This is very interesting too. Okay. Because in addition, I mean, all the energy sources we can talk about, like we just only covered two hydro and geothermal. I mean, mm-hmm. wind is interesting to them. I mean, in as much as like, if a government does decide to build wind, usually the wind farm just sits there for whatever however long before they can hook it up the gridless's team i had put this in the essay but the the kind of the founding conversation was many years ago they were working on a different company but they were talking about how insane it was that the kenyan government had built this 40 megawatt wind farm called the turkana wind farm and the government in order to like get it done the government had to agree to pay a particular rate for electricity to the people who built the wind farm and for years, the government was paying this rate for nothing. No one was using electricity. And they're like sitting there being like, this can't, like, how do we solve this? Do we bring up an aluminum mine there? Like, do we, <laughs> do we, do we process metal? Like, and then they started to realize, well, well we could just mine Bitcoin. And they, I, you know, you get the sense that they were laughing about it then. This was like, whatever, 10 years ago or something. But finally, they realized, no, this is actually a good idea. It just took a long time to quit their jobs, like start a new one, like get people to actually sign on, incorporate, like get expertise on board, like write the software. So I think these things just take time, right? So Mm -hmm. right now, this is growing and now they're doing the biofuel stuff. So the idea is that like any sugar processing facility or any sisal process, a sisal is like kind of like uh, create something that looks kind of like burlap, not burlap, but more like a you'd make a, like a strong fiber kind of bag or, or fabric out of it. It's like pretty rough stuff. It's, it's like jute or whatever. The point is that there's a lot of this happening in that part of the world. And all these facilities have this waste matter, which is considered actually, I guess, like green energy because it, it doesn't like, it's like carbon ne- neutral or whatever, right? Carbon goes into the plant, gets released with the, when it gets burned, right? But the point is that the, uh, the sisal or sugar stuff it gets burned. They burn it. They burn the waste because it's waste it's sitting there. They can burn it and it can obviously heat water, turn a turbine, right? Problem is that there's no grid in Africa. So these places are usually pretty remote and there's usually nobody to buy the electricity. So oftentimes there's this like energy, there's megawatts of energy sitting there that are stranded. No one can buy them. So it's like, uh, it's sad. So now Gridless is coming in and they are now buying all that, the Bitcoin mine, the Bitcoin network's buying all of it. And what the other interesting thing is, there's, you know, there are, there are going to be energy issues in the West, right? Where like, you might have a storm in Texas, right? Or you might have cold weather in Texas or, you know, anything that we've seen recently, like sky, skyrocketing energy prices. And the people like mining off grid in Kenya, they don't care about that at all. That's just totally irrelevant to them. And it may, you may even in some cases, sometimes you know, we have the difficulty adjustment, but like, yeah, make you know, more in, in, in the interim. <laughs> in the, it, it, yeah. Like sometimes it'll be fine for them. If the, the West has an energy crisis, they might even earn more Bitcoin. Who knows? But we'll see. So it's crazy to watch. I think that like there is no block. It's just a matter of how fast can you grow while keeping the quality of your company high in a place where it's not office work. Like they have yeah. to like go out. It's like they're part of site in Zambia. That's like takes like two days to get to like it's not. Yeah, it's not, it's not like uh, office work. So 
I think their team is amazing and I think they're going to pave the way hopefully for a lot more copycats. And over the next decade, I think you're going to start seeing so many of these projects come online. And again, not just in rural, rural Africa, there was that tremendous uh, reason video that came out a couple months ago, which is a short documentary looking at starting with um, a spa in Brooklyn where the owner of the spa realized that instead of using a traditional heater to heat his spa, I mean, he just buys grid energy in Brooklyn, but he instead bought ASICs and now he uses the grid energy to power the ASICs. And the externality of that is the heat and the heat heats his spa. And the interesting thing about ASICs are they're very efficient heaters, very uh, constant. So basically he, he said, I was in a panel discussion with him with Thomas from Pupke and a few other people a couple months ago when we, when Reason debuted the little mini documentary. And he said, told the audience that he's actually paying less money today to the grid for the energy to heat his spa and he's earning Bitcoin. So this is where you start to really realize that this could, this could be helpful everywhere. There's any kind of need for heat mm-hmm. for like basically an ASIC is a space heater. Mm-hmm. And we we were discussing this in Africa as well, because like, what may make sense in a cold climate, there'll be different uses for that heat in a warmer one. So mm-hmm. for example, in Malawi, in Bondo, what they were, because you, you put your hand out the back of the uh, micro hydro station where the ASICs are, and it's a searing blast of heat. So, well, what do you do with that? It's free. It's an externality, right? Well, it, there's two crops that are really grown there. One is pineapple. So the original idea was to just like dry the pineapple, which obviously is helpful, makes another business. Or the other one is tea. So it's not a tea plantation. And one of the things you do with tea after you harvest it within the first day or so is you got to dry it and use warm air. So they have like a building there that's like <laughs> like literally a tea processing facility that just dries tea leaves. And it's like, that could be, the waste there could be eliminated. Like the Bitcoin mining can be drying the tea leaves is, is, is an idea. So we'll see. But I mean, I think that I've seen stuff. I've seen people dry seaweed. I've seen people dry wood with the externality. Obviously, a lot of people heat their homes, their entire cities in certain parts of the world that do this now. I think that eventually, as we learn more about this, that will be part of the deal. And like, it would just be like crazy talk to do any sort of heating or cooling or whatever using, like not using ASICs. But basically, the guys in Virunga in the DRC, I met them. I just got a chance to catch up with them at the Africa Bitcoin Conference in Ghana before I went to Kenya. And um they're telling me by, by March 1st, so like a month from when we're talking now, they're going to have this new setup where basically they convinced or they were talking with the, the park rangers and the park rangers were going to buy like $200,000 of industrial heaters to help heat the cocoa, cocoa beans that they process there. Because currently it's crazy. They just like lay them out on the ground in the sun mm. and it takes a long time and like mm-hmm. animals come and eat them. And it's a huge mess, tons of labor. So instead... They're going to buy this heater and, and these heaters would, would kind of heat them in batches and be much more efficient. And they were like, no, 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 just buy $200,000 of ASICs. And then we will, we will just heat the cocoa with the ASICs. That's what's going to happen. So this is going to happen. This is happening. And then the chocolate that they make from the cocoa will be sold and it'll be like Bitcoin powered chocolate. And I, I predict it's going to do well. I just love this. Like everything about it is great. Like the externality of the mining will change depending on what part of the world you're in. Like it'll depend on what, what your community needs. I just think it's fascinating. If a policymaker from Africa was listening to our conversation, what would be mm-hmm. your advice to them right now? Well, again, just like, look, no one wants to cut fiscal, raise taxes, inflate, borrow from the IMF. Why don't you try this? Like figure out a way to finance this one-time thing and 
research how much energy your country's wasting and do it now and start mining. Yeah. And you will have a very powerful recurring source of income that is probably totally disconnected from the world's power narrative in terms of the price of electricity. It's probably be off-grid. It'll be probably baseload power. It'll give you sovereignty. It'll allow you to hedge against all sorts of things. And one day it'll allow you to buy anything you need without having to like negotiate with people. You'll just have whatever, the premium currency. I think that that's very important for people to do. In America too, though. Like yeah. America should be, America should be Bitcoin mining all of its wasted energy and use that to fund public works. I mean, this is why I think it's like the green, the real green new deal is Bitcoin, right? Like if you want, like Bitcoin is that this is how the government should be getting the revenue for doing public works, not through debt monetization. So anyway, that's the idea. If you were going to go into one of the towns uh, where these Bitcoin miners and energy uh, hubs are set up and you talk to a hundred people inside the town, are, first of all, are they even aware that the Bitcoin mining is taking place? And if they are, what would be the general consensus that, that they would have in reference to it taking place? Yeah. I mean, obviously I have a small sample size. I just visited a few sites, but generally speaking, no, the local community doesn't really know. In the case of Bondo, it's the power company that knows because the power company in the Bondo case used to subsidize, still subsidizes the energy so that mm. it's not like insanely expensive. Power in Africa is like, can be three to four times the price it is, even in, in a place like California, where it's already expensive. Uh, the idea of mainly being like, let's say you have a generation site that produces, a, I don't know, like five megawatts or something like that. Mm -hmm. that. That's a lot. But let's just say for the purposes of this example, but you only have one megawatt of demand. Well, then really to make yourself whole, you end up having to make that sure. energy five times more expensive yeah. than it might otherwise be. Bitcoin mining comes in, buys the other four megawatts and then the price that everybody pays that the people who are using the one megawatt pays goes way down so it makes energy cheaper for people people do not understand this this is super important you, so when i'm when i'm hearing that and i'm thinking yeah. about gridless gridless yeah. is is a huge beneficiary of oh for of the this. community but but are they also, are they giving back in a way that makes it more harmonious for the people uh, as opposed right. to them so, just benefiting so, from that. So the power company is called Mega down there in the Bondo area. And it was really like this guy who's responsible for the area, the surrounding area. It looks like Yosemite. It's insane. It's this incredible mountain range called Moulange and Mount Moulange. And the area is just stunning. So I think it's like the best rock climbing in Africa or something, but it's very remote. Not many people there. And he's kind of doing everything by himself. So he was subsidizing some of the power for people so that it wasn't like 90 cents a kilowatt hour or something. He was bringing it way down out of his own mm -hmm. pocket, though. It's not sustainable. So in comes Gridless. Gridless's miners buy 100% of the hydro power that Bondo does not consume, which, of course, even if they design it like perfectly and like during the daytime, the Bondo folks are eating close to 100% of the hydro. Well, what happens at night? Like the town sleeps, the river doesn't sleep, right? So you have, you always have extra. And then there's seasonality, right? There's big storms that come in, big cyclones that come in, dump tons of water. And there's so much surplus. So Gridless is going to buy all that. And they pay a fee to the power company. And that's really important revenue for the power company because that's power, co that's revenue it didn't have before. So Gridless wins, Gridless makes money. 
power company wins, they make more revenue and the people win because their price of energy goes down. And now the power company can afford to expand. It can afford to hook more homes up and actually get the rest of the community online in a, in a way where no other donor was like, you know, that was just wasn't going to happen with donations. So this is how Bitcoin like brings electricity to people. It's absolutely beautiful to see. What are we missing? What else, what else in, uh, what else do you want to highlight that you think is important from an overall kind of standpoint that maybe we didn't cover? Well, you're, you're talking to folks in these communities and, you know, maybe Bitcoin can help bring them electricity, which is incredible on its own. That's a civilizational challenge to solve. And it's not an exaggeration to say that Bitcoin fixes this. I mean, that's the crazy part. Like it really does fix it. It, it. It is a technology that allows us to eliminate waste in electricity production like it, it it allows us to use all of it and that just has not happened before and again like why don't well why isn't everybody doing it it's a crazy idea like it's it's a really crazy yeah. idea that takes time to wrap your mind around it takes t- time for people to explain it to you it takes time you have to go see it you literally have to go see it you have to see it with your own eyes like even me who had written about this before and was inspired on it I didn't even grasp anywhere close to the full picture until I actually went and started visiting some sites, talking to people, learning about it. So I just think it's, it's a long road, but that's just half of it, right? The other half is how Bitcoin's going to change the sound money piece. Like, mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. because af- civilizations need, they need power and they need sound money. I mean, you need electricity access and, and, and you need, you need sound money. I mean, these are two of the basic ingredients for a successful society, right? So that's the other half is like these countries, again, 44% currency devaluation in Malawi, Crazy. total crime. And people are going to be able to escape into a permissionless open network that allows them to do business anywhere in the world. I mean, I met one, one guy, his name's Grant, a young guy who uh, he's starting the first meetup in the country. The first Bitcoin meetup in Malawi will be like in two weeks. It's like very exciting. I mean, <laughs> we're probably talking like 2020 era for El Salvador here, like, you know, small community here that starts small, but then becomes a big, big wave later. Right. I totally think that's going to happen. And, uh, the crazy part is grants, like, it's amazing for me to use Bitcoin because it's accepted everywhere. Like I can, I can mm-hmm. meaning globally online, I can like buy, I like, I can't use the my currency anywhere. Right. So it gives them like the English language for money basically is the kind of idea he was getting at, which, which I think it'll be even better than that. But the other thing is he's just, these people are packed with cool ideas and they're they're starting, Bitcoin trains you to start to spot all the waste, right? So now he's like, hey, there's this thing the government was going to set up where like it's got these terms it has to follow by foreign donors who want us to do more like EVs, right? Even though like we get into all the problems with that. But okay, so there's going to be all these EV charging stations powered by solar. There's not going to be anybody with EVs. <laughs> That's not going to happen right away. So there's just going to be all this wasted solar energy. Yeah. And he's just like, well, we're going to come in and we're going to hook up some ASICs and we're going to split a cost with the guy who runs the gas station or whatever, where they're going to set up the charter points and we're going to make some money. And I'm like, I don't know if that's going to work, but it's an awesome idea. And there's a lot of other awesome ideas that are, that are going to come about as a result of this. And I think that the other part about kind of Africa helping Bitcoin is the innovations that are happening out there, like like gridless, for example, are, are like just would never happen in, in New York or in London mm-hmm. or Chicago or LA. Just, we don't have the same sort of lived experience issues, like the same problems just don't really, we don't have the same problems. And the other big one is lack of access to the internet, right? So 600 million some odd Africans also don't have access to the internet. A lot more have internet poverty or whatever, like they don't, 
they, they rarely have data. So people use feature phones. How do you use Bitcoin? I mean, think about people who are listening. Well, how do you use Bitcoin? Well, we usually either use copy and paste or a QR code to like use Bitcoin. Well, a feature phone can't do either of those things. So you have all these people who can't really use Bitcoin. So, and then you have all these people who don't have data or internet. So the question is, well, how do you solve that problem? So this incredible guy named KG or Kogatso, who grew up in a township in South Africa, right? Like under apartheid, basically invented this incredible innovation that allows people to use Bitcoin without the internet. And this is just so profound. So he's now got about, I think, 12,000 users across seven countries in Africa. And it uses a protocol called USSD, which is similar to SMS. And basically, you just like send a message to a number and it spits out like a decision tree type thing. And you can like buy, sell, like you can, it's integrated with BitRefill. You can like buy all kinds of stuff on the internet. There's a lot of interactivity with like Azteco. So you can go to a store with cash and you can top up your Machin, the company's called Machinkora. You can top up basically your Bitcoin account with cash, like through a voucher system. It works with M-Pesa, like it's totally integrated and it's amazing. So people are using Bitcoin without the internet, like at scale. <laughs> it's pretty insane. Like I, I'm not sure that Wall Street is prepared for this. Like, I don't think they understand this. And the crazier part is that, well, you know, today it's a custodial lightning wallet, but that's not how he wants it to be for various reasons. Like if he goes to Vodafone and says, do you want a partner? They're going to be like, well, we don't want to hold any funds for our customers, right? Like, so, so the self-custody piece is actually important. Well, how do you do that on a, without a smartphone? Well, they figured out or realized that the SIM card can just be the signing device. So you have all these people with dumb phones or feature phones, whatever you want to call them, no internet. Well, guess what? They can all be self-sovereign Bitcoin users and they can self-custody. So this is a new feature they just sort of rolled out as a pilot uh, this month and we'll see where it goes. But I just think that's incredible. So you can be like a fully self-sovereign Bitcoin user with no internet. It's, it's wild. So that's the other piece of it is, um, is the like power generation and also financial freedom, right? So, and, and the innovations coming out of, of Africa are going to make Bitcoin way stronger. I mean, who knows? But in theory, you could have many thousands, if not millions of people self-custodying Bitcoin in Africa. That obviously makes Bitcoin stronger. And again, the power conversation, like just gigawatts of decentralized off-grid power powering the network. Like there's just a world where there's just I mean, so yeah, many self-reinforcing incentives, well, it's right? Weird, like it's but just, in a world where like in the West, we might be lazy and privileged and like a lot of centralizing forces right now, right? Like ETFs, like, mm -hmm, you know, mm -hmm. custodial use of Bitcoin, like it's easy for us, right? But maybe in Africa, it's different. So yeah, anyway, it's like, uh, it was a fascinating thing to do. I was so fortunate to be able to do it and oh, to get out amazing. there. And I just, I hoped that the essay could just even show people like 1% of what I saw. <laughs> if, if it could just do that, then it was successful. If it could just open your eyes the tiniest bit to this, then I'm, I'm very happy that, that it was able to it do that. It definitely does that, Alex. And the, Thank uh, you, the, uh, the article was called Stranded, How Bitcoin is Saving Wasted Energy and Expanding Financial Freedom in Africa. This is on Bitcoin Magazine, the website. We'll have a link to this in the show notes. I can't stress it enough. You need to read this article because the personal accounts and the stories in it are just miraculous and just so it's really inspiring and it gives you hope. 
in a clown world backdrop where you just like, <laughs> you don't even want to log into Twitter and read what's next, yeah. right? It's just so, it can be very parasitic to just like read some of the stuff that you're seeing. And this is just a bright light in the backdrop of all of that. And bravo to you for just always being that light in such a dark world right now. And we need more Alex Gladsteins. We need more people highlighting these these amazing things that are happening. And I look at it just as an honor to call you a friend and to be on this Bitcoin journey with you. And always thank you for your time, Alex. Is there anything else that you wanted to highlight outside of HRF or no, the I just, article? Yeah, just shout out to Eric and Janet mm, and Phillips yes. and their team. Shout out to KG and Nolene and the Machinkura team. There's some other stuff we didn't get into. We can visit later, but definitely shout out to Marcel and PTC Data. I mean, the, this woman has a vision of bringing millions of African women on board to be Bitcoiners, which is something most people neglect, which I find so deeply moving. And she's educating people in Africa's largest slum. It's incredible, like how fearless she is. And, and shout out to Femi from Beatrust Builders, formerly Kala, who is helping address the issue of making sure that hopefully Bitcoin does not become this thing where Africans just consume what the West produces, which mm -hmm. is the trap they've been in. Like, you know, mm -hmm. cars are made and cars are made in the West. Africans buy them at a, at a huge up, up mark. So they want to make the Bitcoin stuff in Africa. Mm -hmm. and, and to do that, you have to train people how to do it. So his program is training the devs so that they can build and do stuff like, like Gridless and KG, like Match and Current and, and Gridless are good examples of this, but they want to let a, fl a thousand flowers bloom in terms of you know, African created uh, Bitcoin products that, that are made for Africans doing stuff for Africa. So like one of the things Femi says is that like in the West, we're very focused on store of value and that, that's fine. I mean, Bitcoin's awesome store of value, but we're, we're not very focused on Bitcoin as a medium of exchange, but that's really, really where it shines in Africa for a lot of different ways. Mm -hmm. So those apps are going to be, they're going to advance faster over there. Like he was talking to me about like even just like pension stuff. Like mm -hmm. we have all these sophisticated pension systems here. Now most of them are a scam as, as we know, but, but over there, even just basic Bitcoin apps that do pension stuff are going to be huge in mm -hmm. Africa. So that's going to lead the way in, in many cases. So anyway, shout out to those folks. I really also appreciated uh, my friend Ian Burrell, who's a well-known journalist in Britain who came with us on the trip. He wrote his own piece much shorter than mine, obviously as <laughs> in the mainstream media, but, uh, was on unheard and it was it was on the same topic and I was so grateful to Ian for coming and you know I just brought him just so he could see mm -hmm, but like mm -hmm. he ended up writing a piece that was amazing about the same idea and and you know coming from a more skeptical point of view of like mm. well how could Bitcoin possibly help in a humanitarian sense and then he he once he saw it he he, he understood I mean all it <laughs> takes is an open mind but once yeah. you start to realize how powerful this is and how it's it's really going to fix a lot of these issues with dependency and with waste. It's just very, very exciting. So yeah, I'll be seeing maybe some of your listeners in Madeira at Bitcoin Atlantis. I hope some of them come out to Norway for the Oslo Freedom Forum in June. We'll have a killer Bitcoin program. And yeah, until then, thank you, Preston, for having me, having me on. One real quick highlight. There's mm -hmm. a lot of links in the article oh, yeah. that and this is wonderful because you mentioned a ton of things here, and I'm I'm sure a lot of people are gonna want to dig in even more. So mm -hmm. if you don't see it in the show notes, as far as the links in the article, as you go through it, there's a ton of links to many of these things that Alex mentioned is just additional highlight. So Alex, thank you for coming on the show. This was amazing and just really appreciate your time. If you guys enjoyed this conversation, be sure to follow the show on whatever podcast application you use. Just search for We Study Billionaires. 
The Bitcoin specific shows come out every Wednesday, and I'd love to have you as a regular listener. If you enjoyed the show or you learned something new or you found it valuable, if you can leave a review, we would really appreciate that. And it's something that helps others find the interview in the search algorithm. So anything you can do to help out with a review, we would just greatly appreciate. And with that, thanks for listening, and I'll catch you again next week. Thank you for listening to TIP. To access our show notes and courses, go to theinvestorspodcast.com. Follow us on TikTok at The Investors Podcast, on Instagram and LinkedIn at The Investors Podcast Network, and X at TIP underscore network. This show is for entertainment purposes only. Before making any decisions, consult a professional. This show is copyrighted by The Investors Podcast Network. Written permissions must be granted before syndication or rebroadcasting. 